You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Because we're doing hippos and we've been wanting to do it for so long, we decided to change up our platform a little bit and we have a surprise guest today. What can they teach us? Why should we care about hippos? Yeah, um, hippos are an amazing animal. I mean, uh, top to bottom, all the way up and down. I, I really, I can't say enough about hippos and how incredible they are as animals. I mean, many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Creatures podcast. This is Chris, and I'm Angie. Hi, Angie. That sound of a hippo cracks me up, and it just brings back the memories of you and Corbin going at it. You know who had the better hippo sound? Our hippo off. Yes, I yeah. I remember that very fondly because allegedly I lost. So you did, <laughs> you did. Sorry, I'm sorry. It's because Corbin, I was Corbin. laughing so hard that I couldn't sound yeah. normal or hippo vocalization normal for what for whatever that's worth. We've been waiting to do this one for a while. Uh, you know, it's, we put hippo on the list. Corbin asked us to do hippos. We have been wanting to do hippos and we had to wait because Angie, big announcement for this week's interview. Yes, Chris. So exciting. Last week I got to sit down and chat with Christina Gorsuch of the Cincinnati Zoo, who is currently the curator of mammals. And she had the exquisite mm-hmm. pleasure of being part of the very famous hippo Fiona and her sensational Mm -hmm. journey. And Fiona's story includes the fact that she was born prematurely, which there's no records of that both in wild or living under human care. So stay tuned for our next episode. Stay tuned for this episode so you can learn all about hippos. But Mm -hmm. yes, that interview is going to be amazing. She's going to share with us at All Creatures Podcast, the journey of what it was like to be a part of Team Fiona at Cincinnati Zoo. Yeah, she. And yeah, I get, she exploded, I get goosebumps yeah. just thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. She, and then and she and she became like my one of my new BFFs. I, I have yes. a lot of them, so I can't yes. say my only BFF. Yes. But yeah, she's awesome, and the interview I think is just really amazing. If you haven't yeah. heard Fiona's journey, or even if you have, it's it's really really incredible. Yeah, no, and and it's funny because Fiona is probably one of the most famous animals in the past, what, one to two years? Was it a year and a half ago, roughly? Oh, yeah. yeah, about a year and a half, yeah. Yeah. No, she's it's incredible, and well, and that's part of her journey is how the Cincinnati Zoo really took an amazing stance to go ahead and document mm-hmm. and share every trial and tribulation of her battle to survive and then thrive. Right, right. right. No, I mean, the, just... It was a risk for the zoo to do that. And they were apparent and, and showing off this is what's going on. And if, if Fiona tragically died, you know, the public would have known and 
there would have been a lot of tears and stuff on both sides. So yes, Christina's yeah, recount of the first two days of Fiona's life is, um, it's pretty interesting. That's, that's, uh, that's, I'm not, yeah. I'm not giving any spoiler alerts. Yeah. She, okay. Okay. She's very, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed her interview. I enjoyed more. Of course, I enjoy all the interviews, but she was very candid right. and easy to talk to, and we had a lot of laughs. So, and you'll learn a lot too. Yeah. So check that out. Yeah, but before yeah. you're, be, but you're gonna want to stick with us today because we're doing hippos, and we've been wanting to do it for so long. We decided to change up our platform a little bit, and we have a surprise guest today. Yes, <laughs> in a little bit. Yes, we do. We do. And then we, uh, and hopefully if this guest cooperates, I will be entering into another hippo vocalization challenge to okay, see if I okay. can, uh, in, in, enhance my batting average from zero to one, to zero, one to one <laughs> yeah. or whatever sports analogy. Uh, you'll be batting 500. Yeah. You'll be batting 500. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be the, uh, I'll be the judge. I'll be the the blind judge. I'll, I'll I won't know who's doing what. Oh, I know your voice. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we'll see how well you've improved. I know you've been practicing. I have, and I, you know I'm going to even actually block the camera so I can't see you. So because the laughter is what <laughs> laughter laugh. is what really hinders me throughout most of my life. It sometimes gets me into trouble. Okay. And I love I love laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> So the hippo is also called the river horse, right? Oh, yes. So that's like one of the reasons we love yeah, them. Yeah, that's, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, we, that's their name. Their name comes from the two Greek words, hippo, meaning horse, and potamus, meaning mm-hmm. river. Oh, yeah. Okay. There you go. And it's from Greeks, right? The The Greeks are what called them the river horse. Correct. Mm-hmm. Well, and today we'll be talking about the common hippo, but it's also known as the Nile hippo mm-hmm. or the large hippo as well. Right. So not to be confused, I believe at one point in time, Christina calls it the Nile hippo. And I was like, wait, is there something? Yeah. <laughs> is there, there another something? species I don't know about? Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, there is, there is five subspecies and then we have the pygmy hippo, which sure, we're going to talk about hippo, a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm, we'll definitely touch on that. That's one near and dear to my heart as um, I didn't, I was not a caretaker for them at mm-hmm. the Lincoln Park Zoo, but they house them at the zoo. And so they, of course I got, would get to go behind the scenes and, and hang out with Huey and it was awesome. Yeah, and I I remember the San Diego Zoo had pygmy hippos, and I think I can't remember what other zoo. I don't know if it was the Bronx Zoo. Somebody else had them that I that I've seen, which is interesting because they're they're endangered. You know, uh, only a couple thousand left. Sure, Chris, and that's definitely yeah. one going to be one of the big take home messages today. And the IUCN's current count is less than twenty five hundred, so mm-hmm. very you know not very many for the pyg- pygmy hippo. And and what was really disconcerting to me. I guess I hadn't done a lot of research into it because it's not highlighted in the media as much as of course our beloved rhinos and elephants mm-hmm. is the fact that the the large hippopotamus, the Nile hippo, the mm-hmm. common hippo mm-hmm. is also been classified as vulnerable mm-hmm. with a stable population. However, it's declined dramatically in many, many different right. habitats throughout Africa. And their population is somewhere between it's estimated to be between 115,000 mm. to 130,000, which right. considering they yeah. roam all through Af- through most of Africa, of Africa, that's yeah. not very much. And no, the no. are very, very fragmented. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at the, the range map and I always try to post these on the show notes, the, you know, they used to range. So I, I put almost. The, the lower two thirds of Africa, but it's almost like three quarters. It's just really sure. the Sahara mm-hmm. desert isn't where they were at all, but they did go all the way up the Nile 
you know, all Correct. the way to the Mediterranean, which is, is really interesting. That's their historical range. But you look at their range today and it, it you're right. It is so, so many small pockets, mm-hmm. you know, throughout Africa that they've lost so much of their habitat. It's, it's right. really incredible. Yeah. And of course it should be noted that their habitat, they enjoy hanging out in rivers, mm-hmm. swamps, lakes, but they also need the grasslands to forage at nighttime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And currently mm-hmm. the hippo is native to 29 African countries, the large, mm-hmm. the, the common hippo, but in certain countries like the DRC, the Demo- Democratic Republic of Cond- Congo, the population's mm-hmm. declined 95%, 95%. And I would just say, you know, stay tuned for, you know, we have a lot of great things today. But one of the things we're going to cover at the end is just how dangerous are hippos? You know, is it, is it fact or myth? And so we'll kind of, we'll kind of get into that a little bit towards the end and talk about, you know, hippos. And it, it makes sense with some of their behavior. Sure. With that. Yeah. And then if you stick with us till the end, I have a super fun fact about me being a mom, of course, uh, about mm-hmm. when they lactate the color of their milk. It is not white or cream yeah. or anything like that. It is a, yeah. a unique color. And they are the only mammal in the world to have this color milk. So, oh, yeah. okay, there yeah, you go. Fun stuff. Yeah, I'll, I'll stay tuned this time, Angie. Thank goodness, because <laughs> we we need yes. you here, Chris. We, I can't I can't do this by myself. <laughs> Nobody would want that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Three hours later, I know, I know, I know. You're really excited for this one. Now, hippos are semi aquatic mammals, so they they. Live half the time in the water, or actually most of the time in the water, and then they go out to forage at night, which we'll, we'll get to. They are even-toed ungulates. Yay, ungulates. Aerodactyls. I, uh, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And related to buffalo, deer, cattle, uh, those types. Now, what I found really interesting about doing my research, they used to think hippos were related to pigs, you know, or swine. Because of their teeth, mm. their molars were very similar. They thought this for forever, ever since they started studying natural history and classifying mammals. It wasn't until DNA testing came around that they realized, oops, no, hippos aren't really that closely related to pigs at all. Their actually closest relatives are cetaceans. Right. Whales, Whales. that blew my mind. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. Chris covers is an evolution, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I will. I will a little bit. But yeah, I just was like, wow, wow. That was, that was really crazy. So Angie, a couple things I, I was reading and, and I don't know, you give me your opinion. Some things said they were the third largest mammal. Others said they were the second largest mammal. So I, I pulled up some statistics. I mean, obviously the elephant's the largest land mammal. Then it's really a, a debate between rhinos and hippos. Now hippos can be 11 feet long. Or five feet at the shoulder, one and a half meters tall, and they weigh up to three thousand two hundred kilograms or seven thousand pounds, or two to three tons. Right now, granted, yeah. rhinos are a little <laughs> bit taller because they could be six feet tall at the shoulder, one point eight meters, but they weigh less. And this is male rhinos, around twenty three hundred kilograms. And what species of rhinos? Is this black rhinos or white rhinos? Because that was going to be the trick, I believe. Yeah, I think it was. I think this was the white rhino. So okay, because that is the bigger about, of the of the two rhinos. Right. Or, you in know, Africa. even Indian rhinos are pretty big too, right? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Correct me. Yeah. Uh, the, the whites yeah. are the bigger of the two rhinos in Africa. And rhinos only weigh up to 5,000 pounds. Now, elephants, obviously 11 feet at the shoulder, 3.3 meters. They weigh 13,000 pounds or 6,000 kilograms. So there's no debate there. So really the debates between hippos and rhinos, which one's bigger, I guess. 
yeah, hippos like are heavier. Most, rhinos are a little bit taller. Yeah, probably the popular media. Most things say that they are the third largest living land mammal, but there's outliers, mm-hmm. I believe, in either category. And it probably depends right. on is it the male or the female of a right. hippo, right. what's their age. And I read an interesting tidbit that I didn't have time to double check with uh, the scientific literature, but I mm-hmm. it had said something that a male hippopotamus grows throughout mm-hmm. most of its life. Yeah, it doesn't stop. Kind of like, right? yeah. like your nose and your ears if you're a guy. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Thanks. My nose doesn't grow. Oh, yeah. You keep, tell, you keep telling yourself that, buddy. <laughs> yeah. But so I, I, but so if that's the case, then, right. you know, it, it just depends. Um, and yeah, obviously. Well, they're big. They're massive. They, they are. Any, any, any way you slice the cheese. Um, yeah. they are. They're definitely, they're, they're big and they're impressive. And we all, everybody knows what they look like because, there's mm-hmm. cartoons and books. They're yeah. just found throughout media. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think people don't quite appreciate the size or the fact that uh, the hippo has four webbed toes that splay out, mm-hmm. distribute weight evenly, and of course, support on land, but also when it's walking through the water. And their body mm-hmm. is gray, but they have tones of purple and, and pink, brownish pink yeah. coloring around their eyes right. and their ears. Their bodies are covered with a scarce amount of thin hair, uh, except for the bristle-like hair on their heads and their tails. Mm-hmm. And what I, mm-hmm. one of my favorite parts, as long as it's, I'm not being inf- affected by it, but is their flat, triangular, almost like tail. And why mm-hmm. I say mm-hmm. I don't want to be affected by it, because I'm sure yeah. <laughs> I mean, people may or may not know, but a lot of times they, <laughs> they will, yeah. uh, spray excrement to markets ta- territory, which is a natural behavior in the wild. Yep. But if you're visiting them behind the scenes, like I've had the chance to do on numerous occasions, uh, that they mm. can sometimes spray you. So you just have to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they're, but they're herbivores. Well, I, I will still stand by too. the fact that herbivore poo is not that bad. I would stay tuned though. I, uh, there's some interesting things about their diet that I found. Ooh, a couple, okay. you know, some recent articles, scientific literature coming out about their dietary behavior. Ah, I will stay is, tuned then. I will not fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> now yes. I'm so excited to be here talking today about hippos. I already, I forewarned Chris. I said, we might have to do two segments of the hippos because I think I have like right. 30 slides. <laughs> Couldn't stop yeah, that's myself. All right. That's all right. No, we'll get I, it. That, nobody wants to hear all the little weird facts. Yeah, about hippos, we'll do it. Ex- yeah, yeah I just love it's them. It's an extended episode. Yeah, we'll get through. I it. just love them so much. Right. No, and their their skulls are really interesting too. So I have a good picture that I'm looking at. I mean, obviously, they're if you've seen a hippo open their mouth, it's kind of scary because they have really large canines and incisors, which is you know, you especially the males, they get really nasty when they fight. Also, their eyes are really, I mean, this is what's so crazy about natural history. When you look at these animals, their eyes are really on top of their skull. So they've evolved Mm -hmm. that way. So when they're just, you know, floating on top of the water, it's almost like an alligator. Well, crocodiles, they're, they're good friends in Africa where they're floating and they have their eyes way up top so they can see better and their nostrils, right? Oh, yes, Chris. And I've been blessed enough right. on a couple different occasions to have the experience of seeing wild hippos, um, the, the common hippos, the large ones in Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in both occasions, I was in Zambia. One time I was on the Luanga River with my 
soon-to-be husband, John. Uh, we weren't engaged yet, but that's where it solidified the deal that uh, he, he he was all right. <laughs> but that yeah. we were in North Luanga Park, yeah, Zambia, yeah, yeah. and we were on the Luanga River. And even with binoculars, we were up on a cliff looking at him down in the river because mm-hmm. the water, it was it was the dry season, so there wasn't a ton of water. Uh, but they're hot. just like looking for algae or crocodiles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're wondering, oh, is that a log or is that a hippo? But the trick is with hippos, they're usually, of course, they're typically in herds or bloats, as right. they're often called. So you see a lot of these little log-looking mm-hmm, eyes, mm-hmm. if you will, and then you know that that's uh, uh, the hippos. So yeah, yeah, I mean, they're it's just fun, and that's I think that's what always inspired me to make the hippo calls is that I've got to hear them um, both uh, in Luanga. And then another time I was with one of my best friends, Nani and her future husband, Bob at the time. And we were on the Zambezi and lots of hippos. And we were staying at a lodge just off the river. And so I could hear them vocalizing all night long. And yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was pretty incredible. That one, both, both experiences were awesome. Very jealous, very jealous. Solidified my love for them. Yeah, and yeah. Perfect their vocalization, and I guess I never dream- I guess I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd be doing a podcast on yeah. them. <laughs> however, <laughs> and be making hippo yeah, noises. Yeah, however, it makes a lot of sense because they're just a really fascinating creature, and and mm-hmm. due to the current mm-hmm. climate of uh, habitat fragmentation and poaching and things we'll mm-hmm. talk about further on in the podcast, they are in need of more help. And more awareness. Yes. So I'm, I'm here to w- raise awareness about them today because I, I feel like sometimes they're forgotten about. As far oh, as, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, people, oh, I love hippos, but you don't hear about their conservation, right? No. And I'll you talk a little bit about, about that when I get yeah. to the very end when I go, I pick my conservation organizations because, um, yeah. just yeah. a little spoiler alert. They were hard to find. If you can believe yeah. that. Uh, I, I mean, they, I was lucky enough because when Ashley was working at San Antonio Zoo, she got to work with the hippos and, you know, I got to obviously, you know, got a lot of my zoo experience following her around doing stuff. And, you know, maybe we get to repro. I can talk about, you know, the story, but she had, she had to actually give the female hippo her birth control each day. So <laughs> yeah, you know, it was a shot of progesterone. You know, she trained her to open their mouth and she would squirt it into her mouth. Um, so she wouldn't cycle and get pregnant because they didn't want calves. They didn't need to breed that pair. Uh, so anyways, got to, got to be up close with them and just amazing. Our spouses are so cool. Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> they did some cool stuff. Now here's a word, Angie. Here's, here's something talking about description. Just before we, uh, we jump into, to, uh, bring our guest on, I guess. Gravity portal. I saw this word. I've never heard this. Before. I don't know. I'm. I'm at a loss, which is rare. So when I do my research, I mean, obviously I try to avoid Wikipedia, even though I think Wikipedia has gotten so much better than it still has a bad rep, but I always I like to check. It, I think it's a great start. You just need to then yeah. go dig. to the sources that are listed at yeah. the bottom. Yeah. And dig. And we dig a little bit deeper and then we jump into the scientific literature when we can, you know, look at what some other scientists are, are putting. I mean, that's what I do when I do my research for the podcast. And I think I saw this on Wikipedia. So I was like, what the heck is this? Gravity portal. So basically what it means is a body built to support great weights. That's kind of the, the description of it. So you think elephants, hippos, rhinos, their bone structure is built to do that. 
Now with hippos, their limbs are, are usually shorter, you know, say compared to an elephant or a rhino, but they're massive. Their bones are massive, you know, so you look at these fat, squatty, short legs, but when you look at their skeleton, I mean, it's huge. It's like probably as big as my thigh is how big their leg bones are. So I'll put this up on the show notes too, because it's really impressive. So Gravy Portal, word of the week. I like it. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Now, the two species we said, the common hippopotamus, their species name is Hippopotamus amphibious. And then the pygmy hippo is Coropsis liberiensis. Very good. And they're yep. the ones that are endangered. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about, we talked about the, the common hippo. The pygmy hippo, yeah, you're right. They're endangered, heading to critically endangered status. And they're very, very small pockets in Liberia, mm-hmm. Sierra Leone, uh, Guinea, and then Cote d'Ivoire, it's that French one. Mm-hmm. So I, I never know how to say that. So really on the, on the west, you know, central west, northwest corner of Africa is where the pygmies are. And that's where they are. Now there used to be some species or a subspecies in Nigeria, but they've been extinct since the forties. Mm-hmm. So, so that's where they are. Now, again, before we bring our guest on, where else in the world, Angie, are hippos found outside of Africa oh, in the wild? Chris, uh, this is a fantastic <laughs> story. We, I also covered this, yes. uh, but they are yeah. currently, there's a population that has grown from four to potentially yeah. <laughs> 50 or 60 in Colombia, yes. South America. No, you're right. So that what they, what happened was the story is Pablo Escobar, which I want to, for the listeners, if you have Netflix, Watch Narcos. It is a really good series. It was uh, one of my favorites on Netflix. Anybody who yeah. grew up, anybody who grew up in the sixties, seventies, eighties, even into the nineties, yeah. it's it's yeah. it's very fascinating. Yeah, and I remember, you know, our good friend Anna, who was you know, your lab. Yes, mate my my, my other bestie here. Student. Yes, yeah. she told me to start watching Narcos when I was reading her dissertation, getting ready for her defense. I think she was sending me a message. (laughs) She's like, Dr. M, you need to start watching Narcos. And I started watching this about all the stuff. And she grew up in this. I mean, poor Anna. I've talked to her about it. You know, growing up uh, when Colombia was, was pretty scary with Pablo Escobar. But anyways, how this relates to hippos is he did have that private zoo. And like you said, they, they, four groups of, you know, now 50 or 60, they think, yeah, you're right. They either let them loose or wandered off. Now I will say that the Columbia government has gone in and they're castrating the males. So they're, they're trying to stop them from breeding, but they're not, you know, calling them or, or killing them. They're, they're, they're being left alone, but they are, there's hippos. Yeah. Well, the and they're not, and, and the, neat, the interesting part about it is they're not totally being left alone because it's become somewhat of a little bit of a tourist attraction. And, oh, okay. but yeah, even yeah. more so than that, uh, more recently, this bizarre situation has caught the attention of the University of California, um, out of Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. and then in collaboration with San Diego. Uh, so scientists have mm-hmm. come down to, to Columbia to study these guys. And what their main objective is, it's really interesting if you think about it, Chris, is this is 
an example of an invasive species, yeah, right? Yeah, they don't belong there. They do not no, belong No, and they are a large megafauna, okay? Mm-hmm. This is not some little lizard. We all know big and small invasive species can do horrific damage. Yes, uh, yes. So it doesn't, size is not necessarily meaningful. However, these scientists are taking this as an opportunity to evaluate the ecosystem impacts for this large mammal living outside of mm-hmm. its native native range. And that's not something mm-hmm. they, they often get to do. So the researchers mm-hmm. will go in and compare the lakes and river streams that this group of 60 is known to live in and compare it to nearby lakes and rivers where they don't live. And they'll measure mm-hmm. things such as oxygen levels and plankton and insects and invertebrates. And they're measuring things like the different audio calls and disturbance of uh, of other basically down downstream species mm-hmm. because interestingly yeah. enough, obviously in Colombia, the hippo has no predators and uh, Africa, Mm-mm. they, especially baby hippos can of course sometimes be taken down by lions and, but that's not the case in, in Colombia. Yeah. And the other kind of crazy thing is that in Africa, hippos battle a lot of droughts. And there's a dry season in Africa where the rivers get really small. And especially Mm -hmm. now with climate change, we'll talk about more of that in conservation Mm -hmm. is this can be not good for hippos, right? Uh, Especially ones that have fragmented populations. Mm -hmm. And then there's competition for resources, disease, all sorts of Mm -hmm. issues. Well, in Colombia, they don't have a dry season. So these hippos are Mm -hmm. happy and in in nice fat and happy yeah. in like some serious <laughs> yeah. water year round with some serious grass yeah. and they are the studies have shown that they yeah. uh reach sexual they get bigger and they reach sexual maturity faster so oh, wow. but it, okay. so it's it's so researchers are looking at it and of course they're working with the Colombian government to try to figure out is this a problem if it is mm-hmm. what do we do about it uh so it's yeah it's super interesting right. yeah i mean it's it is interesting and it also got me thinking too like last week with our interview with Dr. Taylor about the little spotted kiwi, you know, went from five to fifteen hundred. How does that affect on the genetics? Here you have a population from one male and three females to now fifty, sixty. So from a geneticist sure. perspective, yeah. it would be really mm-hmm. interesting to study and see how that has an effect. But again, they don't belong there. And, you know, you think about all the native species that they're having of an course. they are having sure. an impact somehow. Mm-hmm. And it's Probably not beneficial is my estimate, but you have yeah, the we'll scientists them, that study we'll this out there doing that. At least do their round one verdict. They're, yeah. and, uh, they were going to release some of their pre- preliminary results this past June. So yeah, yeah. It's very cool. interesting. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm on slide five <laughs> of 50. I'm on slide <laughs> two of 76. No, just it's our. <laughs> Who cares? Hey, you know what? Just speed it up. It's, it's hippos. This is a, a, a fun week. But I think this is a good opportunity to kind of switch it up like you were talking about. Sure. And bring on our special guest. Yes. Stand is by. Ready? Okay. All right. Welcome back, Angie. Are you I ready? I am. I would like to introduce the myth that people may or may not thought the <laughs> unicorn, my husband, Jonathan yeah. Mio. And yeah. he's going to, since I, I decided to bring him on to cover some cool stuff about hippos because he's worked so closely with them, both from a research setting and then also as a zookeeper. So I think mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. 
I hate to admit this, but I think he's probably going to even be better at it than me, which it's a rarity in yeah. our household. So <laughs> I'll let him yeah. have his glory. Yeah. I just, I, if I'm yeah. covering hippos. I feel like he has to talk about it. Just like if he's ever talking about zebras yeah. or horses, yeah. I, I hope he would defer to me. I mean, I don't yeah. Know, maybe. Well, yeah. If and when we do an insect or especially the honeybee, if I don't bring on Ashley, it's you right. Know, game, it's over. game over. Yes. <laughs> Jinx. So here he is. My, my dear, my better half, um, Honey, I trust you with my life, my children, and yeah. now my podcast. All right. Welcome, John. Hey. 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 Thanks for having me on here. Thank you, Angie. I really appreciate it. Uh, a long-time yeah. listener, first-time caller here. Uh, yes. <laughs> really excited to be on and for you guys to allow me the time to to hang out with you and uh, and talk about one of my favorite species. Well, if we do, it, you know, Angie and I go back and forth about our spouses and we've really debated on bringing you guys on. Like, do we just want people to think they don't exist? I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, caution to the wind. Welcome. You know, it's great having you. You've been a, a big influence on my life and Angie's life. I know that. So, you know, I think the first question I have, and we always like to tell the listeners, why should we care about hippos? Yeah, um, hippos are an amazing animal. I mean, uh, top to bottom, mm-hmm. all the way up and down. I, I really, I can't say enough about hippos and how incredible they are as animals. I mean, first of all, you're talking about mm-hmm. some of the largest mammals on earth, uh, land mammals, certainly. Mm-hmm. How can you not appreciate them? How, how can you not love them or care about them? Um, as as far as what they do for the world, you know, okay, or yay, they're big. What what do they do for the world? They do a lot of really amazing things. They are uh, habitat mm-hmm. builders, I call them, <clears throat> where they live. They live in the water. They exist in, in the water for for most of the day, but at night they're out on land. Mm-hmm. So they're actually they're actually carving paths in the land that later allow animals to come down to the water and to drink. So if you think about oh, wow. Africa. Okay. You know, it, it's hot. All the animals mm-hmm. need water, but there are areas where it gets so thick and overgrown. It's difficult for animals to get there safely. They actually create these huge pathways, uh, which is just really kind of cool. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I never thought of that. I yeah. never, never thought of that. Yeah. yeah that's they, really they, awesome. So they're pretty great yeah. in the water. Um, they certainly, they are, they eat on land. They, they mostly eat, graze on land at night, but they will eat water vegetation. Mm-hmm. So they do actually help clear out mm-hmm. water, um, waterways if they're being overrun with vegetation. So that is actually pretty cool. So water can continue to flow again. Water is, is the lifeblood of every habitat. And so the hippos keep that moving. They are tremendous defecators, uh, which is, you can, can be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be, it can be a little challenging. There's actually yeah. a, the, the bait's a little bit out on this one as to whether their, their defecation in the water helps fertilize or is it, is it over fertilizing? So, you know, there's a little bit of a balance there, but certainly mm-hmm. there isn't, um, for the fish that are in the water, there's a, a huge benefit there. The fish will absolutely eat their, their feces in the water. So, uh, yeah, they're just amazing animals. Uh, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I said, they, they had a huge impact on my life as a keeper, as a caretaker, as an animal enthusiast. So if, if, if that for nothing else, uh, that's, that's right. one of the reasons I love them so much. Yeah, I did. I, I did find a, an article, you know, they're calling them the life, life force of Africa's rivers. And I guess this was kind of the pro argument with that, with the dung helping the aquatic ecosystem, you know, and, you know, I saw an estimate 60,000 kilograms or 132,000 pounds of solid waste per year. Yeah. It's amazing. Provided by the hippos. Oh yeah. It's incredible. 
Yeah, and then uh, not only fish eat it, but also aquatic insects. Yep. Yeah. Uh, will eat some of the dung. Absolutely. So y- you're right, but then you know, talking with Angie, you know, she did me- mention to me that on the other side of the debate, because we talked about this before we started recording, was with the drought and actually with a lot of the rivers getting lower or dam, you know, damming them up, concentrating hippos in concentrated areas. There's the con argument right. because it is over, you know, night nitrogen and other things in the water yep. that's harmful. Yep. Right. So I think, I think, I think the con argument's more of, Hey, this is man right. affecting earth. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? Right. This is why hippos can't do the right. Role, so right? they work yeah. well in the environment in which they developed in. And so they were, everything mm-hmm. was great, but yeah, you start damming up the rivers. Yeah. You're going to have some problems. Yeah. There, there's some unintended consequences there. And you do have a great concentration yeah. of, of feces at that point in the water. And then, yeah, there's, there's lots of issues, but, um, yeah. If, yeah. If there's yeah. a way for everybody to work together, you know, again, everybody needs water, humans need water, but the animals do as well. If everybody could work together on that, then, then they will help the system out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they just, they, they, they have their, you know, their ecological niche. Every species we, we talk about their ecological niche where they yeah. belong and hippos are critical from what I'm reading in maintaining some of these ecosystems. So yeah. yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Now, Andy said you did some research behavior. Yeah, we did. Uh, I did some research. I was lucky to, to do some research on hippos when I was uh, just starting out my, my career. And um, it was actually the fundamental was acoustic research. So we were studying, I worked with mm-hmm. a uh, researcher out of uh, a, a small college in uh, Massachusetts, Framingham state college. His name is William Barclow, Dr. William Barclow. He was my undergraduate professor and he was doing acoustic studies on hippos. He was, he was studying how they vocalize and how they hear. And he would go to Africa and do re- recordings right. of them. And what he discovered was, uh, that they were really interesting there. It's a unique feature to mammals that they are, um, they're amphibious. So you think about they live in the water, but they can actually go up onto land. They mm-hmm. spend, spend, uh, the nights on land. But when they're hanging out in water, you usually think of them are in that position where their head is above water, their their eyes, their ears, and their nostrils above water. The mm-hmm. rest of them are below water. What he discovered was when mm-hmm. they're in that position, they can actually vocalize above water and below water at the same time. So it's, it's really oh, cool. Wow. I mean, That's if you crazy. think about, you know, yeah. most mammals certainly cannot do this. And, and most animals can't do this. Is maybe one frog. Uh, some frogs do this. Um but no mammals can do this. So it's a really interesting uh, adaptation. <laughs> and it makes sense because hippos will be all the way underwater and then some will be up on land. Sometimes they bask on land in the sun and some will be sleeping underwater. Mm-hmm. And so hippos that are in the water hanging out can vocalize to both parties at the same time. They And um, he discovered that they could That's actually – shunt where their vocalizations go. So sometimes they go above water, sometimes they go above water, or sometimes they can do both at the mm-hmm. same time. So he would videotape them and have a, a hydrophone underwater, wow. a microphone that records underwater, and then a microphone above water to record. And then you could see all of that from the videotapes and the recordings. So really, really interesting stuff. So that was his That's crazy. That's his crazy. study that he was doing. What I did, uh, I, I did a um, study down at, at a zoo and what we did is, is we used, um, hippos that were there at the zoo to study how well can they hear. So now we can, we can see their vocalizations. We can see that they can vocalize. Mm-hmm. 
But to kind of close the loop on it, what can they actually hear underwater or above water or in amphibious position? So we mm-hmm. did tests on them. And um, we, we essentially played mm-hmm. different tones at uh, different volumes and different um, mm-hmm. so different amplitudes. Uh, and we wanted to see how soft a sound they right. could hear, how loud a sound they could hear. And then we paid, played them different pitches as well. So on the range of low sounds to high sounds, what could they mm-hmm. hear? And essentially what we found out was right. they have about the same hearing that we have in the air. They have that mm-hmm. hearing underwater. Oh, wow. So if, wow. If you think about you've ever gone swimming. Yeah. and yeah, You can't hear anything. You can't hear anything. Yeah, there's just some, yeah, yeah. Exactly, some mumbling yeah. and some vibrations. Yeah. That, but they are actually able to hear underwater pretty darn well. <laughs> and, and so it's it's pretty incredible that that um and and again it makes sense it only makes sense they can actually yeah. hear underwater they spend their life underwater they spend a lot of their time underwater so that was a really yeah. cool study just the study itself was amazing but in order to get the study we had to train a hippo to basically tell us what he was hearing it's like how, well how mm-hmm, do how mm-hmm. do you do that it's it's yeah I, how do you do I, that? I equate yeah. it to um. The, the hearing test we had when we were in grade school, maybe where we played, somebody played us a tone, a nurse would play us a, a tone and we'd raise our hand every time we heard the tone. Right. And when you don't right. hear the tone, you're not supposed right. to raise your hand. Well, we want to do that with the hippo, but how do you do that? Well, we trained him to go to a station. So he'd go to a, a spot underwater on the wall. When we played a tone, he would go to another spot, a different spot on the wall. And so he would tell us, right. I heard this. If we played a tone and he didn't hear it, he wouldn't move. If we didn't play a tone, he shouldn't move. And it was all done through right. training, through operant conditioning in order to, to teach him that. Right. And then we had to do a, um, we had to randomize the study. So it was random. We didn't play a tone every time we put him on a station mm-hmm. and then 50% of the time we played a tone, 50% of the time we did not play a tone. So then we, we would be able to discern when he was just breaking to go to the, the the yes station, as you called it, the I heard a tone station. Right. We could tell whether he was faking us out just to get food or or whatever. So it was a really uh, pretty elegant study, and it took a lot of work. It took a lot of training, and um, I had a lot of great coworkers that helped me out with that. And it was it was a lot of fun. It really was. It really, like I said, it really formed my career. I think as it was, it it, it really assured, right right sure that science is the way to go. Studying animals mm-hmm. is the way, and in a non-harmful way. This is completely voluntary. It was, it was, yeah, you know, yeah, it was oh, behavioral yeah. training. So he got treats for it. He got rewards for it. He got to play with toys. You know, it was all positive for him. And and I think um, it showed yeah, me yeah. this is what these are some of the amazing things the zoos can do. We can learn a lot from animals in zoos. So it was a lot of fun. Um, right, right. I had a good time. And it, and something like that, like just off the top of my head, I would say something like that. Now that we know hippos can communicate underwater or they have really acute hearing mm-hmm. underwater. So, you know, that will affect, you know, how we interact right. with them in their environment. Like I've seen videos mm-hmm. of boats going by, right? And the hippo charging off. And usually it's because the males are so territorial, but you know, maybe that's like screaming in their ear and they're just absolutely right. Ticked right. off. <laughs> they're like, yep. Hey, it's yeah, loud. They're out of here. And so they're, you know, who knows accordingly. Right. Yeah. So you have to think about. What impact yeah, do we yeah. as humans have on them in the various environments? So absolutely. And, and for me, it's always the more we learn, the better. The more we learn, 
about these animals, the better right. off yeah. we all are, whether we're taking care of them in a zoo or some sort of managed environment or whether they just exist in the world and we're trying to, to figure out ways to exist with them. So yeah, it was a great time. Yeah. So would you say hippos are your favorite animal? Absolutely. Yeah, hippos are my favorite yeah. animals. Uh, I mean, I've had a ton of animals that I've worked with, mostly mammals, yeah. but hippos, they're just so incredible. They do so many amazing yeah. things. You think, you know, you think big, you know, big, dumb, slow animal when you see them. They're right. just like, oh, yeah. you know, and a lot of times when you do see them in cartoons or media or something like that, it's, it's, it's sort of as a laugh, you know, it's sort of like to mm-hmm. kind of bring a laugh out. But they are incredible animals. I mean, they can run. They are huge. We, you know, I know you guys talked mm-hmm. about their size. They are humongous animals. The males are, again, depends on your count, third largest right. land mammal um, in the world. But they can run 35 miles an hour. So yeah, they can snake fast. They, fast. they can sprint 35 miles an hour. And, and they can <laughs> stop on a dime and turn on a dime. I guarantee you, I have seen yeah. it. You think... How can an animal that large go that fast and then change? They can. They absolutely can. They are very intelligent yeah, animals. They are extremely intelligent yeah. animals. Um, you know, so working with them was a blast. They, we did a lot of operant conditioning with them. And this is an animal that again, if you, if I don't know how much Angie, um, you know, really gets into operant conditioning, but you have to work with an animal when you're doing training, when you are, when mm-hmm. you're working with them in managed care and, and nothing typifies that more than the hippo. You cannot do, get a hippo to do something you do not, it does not want to do. They, yeah, I right? know. You, you <laughs> yeah. can't, there's no, yep. they, there's nothing you can do to them. And so yeah. training them is really, really important, but they are very intelligent. They pick up on it quickly. They also can get very stubborn. So they, there's things that they do and do not mm-hmm. want to do, but they are amazing animals. So intelligent, um, yeah. You know, they're friendly, they're personable, they are, you know, they, it's always the stories mm-hmm. I used to tell when I was working with them. They love to open up their humongous mouths of theirs and they have humongous teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the amazing thing about mm-hmm. those teeth is on the outside, on the, on the, uh, if you're looking at them, it's rounded on the outside. On the back side of them, it's mm-hmm. razors. There's razor blades on the back because they mm-hmm. open and close their mouth and their teeth. Uh, sharpen each other every time they open it. Oh, close. wow. So if you wow, were to run yeah, your yeah, hands yeah. down the back of those teeth accidentally, you would cut yourself open. But oh, they love to have their gums rubbed. So you can, yeah, I know. You, you can scrub their gums. You can scrub the back of their, their mouths. Oh, it's, it's just incredible. And they, and they love it. And if you think about it in, in, in Africa, they go underwater. They have, they just, basically have their mouths open and fish will do that. Fish will go in their mouth and clean up all of the leftover food. And and they basically give them a little, a little uh, gum massage. So we would do that same thing for them. uh, When we were taking care of them, it was incredible. You get great reactions from them and they're just, uh, they're, they're a blast. Uh, They are personable. The, they throw feces um, literally 15, 20 feet. You know, so I I know that Ange is always, always saying, you know, herbivore uh, feces isn't that bad. This stuff's pretty bad. It's pretty bad because of the amount of liquid liquid in it. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, it's not like, you know, a horse, horse poop or, you know, you know, I clean, I clean, uh, 
They're cleaning on gillet feces all the time, and uh, it's not bad. This stuff is it stinks and it is sloppy, and it, it, that's one thing about it that they they do make they do make a mark. There's no question, and they they defecate and yeah, urinate yeah, at the same kind of time, and it, you know again it, it's backward, so it's yeah it's you got to be really careful when you're around them. Well, and as a keeper, you got to clean all that up. Absolutely, so that's stains. The, it's it's yeah, that's it's, the negative it's part. a lot to uh, it's a lot to take care of, but yeah, I mean it's yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, just amazing. My favorite animal, just because they're they're so misunderstood, but there's so much about them that's incredible. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got great personal yeah. relationships. You know, they live in herds as well as the herd dynamics. Um, I was lucky enough to to um, witness uh, a baby hippo being born. Really, one of the most incredible experiences oh, wow. of my yeah. life. Uh, they do give birth yeah. uh, underwater, so. In that, uh -huh. those first few seconds, the, the, the baby's born, the baby has to, has to swim up to the surface and grab its, its, its breath of air yeah. in order to make it. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it was a pretty harrowing, um, sight to see. And it was one of, like I said, the yeah. best experiences of my life. I mean, obviously seeing my own children born was oh, pretty yeah. incredible yeah. as well. But, uh, this was, this was one yeah. of the first, the first births I saw. Ah, better. The, the hippo's it was, better. It was pretty amazing to see, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you know, know. a very know. obviously caring, yeah. caring mom. It's amazing to see that stuff. Uh, but yeah, they're just, yeah. they're amazing. I mean, they have, you know, I know you guys get into it. They have a lot of physiological adaptations, uh, the blood sweat mm -hmm. on them mm -hmm. so that you know they it has that term because uh, yeah. the original uh individuals who who found them saw this red liquid on them and thought that they were just just sweating blood and it's you know it, it but it's yeah. it's yeah. not obviously they don't have blood coming from their pores but it's an incredible substance i think we still just don't yeah. even know enough about but um we we messed with it a little bit when we were um when I was working with them and it was always kind of the plan to study a little bit more but we never got it off the ground but um yeah i think that i yeah a little bit of what i read on it was they think it might help us like as a sunscreen so mm -hmm. to kind of protect their hides and stuff yep. but who knows i would be who knows yeah. but i think we think it has some um, uh, again all unproven you know uh, or yeah. again i haven't done the the literature research but um, it has antibacterial properties to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's really pretty amazing stuff. Again, you have animals here that have learned and, and evolved to adapt to a, a harsh environment, you know, right. sun and, and sun in Africa. And, you know, in this day and age with sun is going to be a, a greater factor for a lot of people. Here you have yeah. a natural sunscreen that works out really well. Yeah. You know, what can we learn from this? How do we, develop this how do we take advantage of this or or, or work with it as humans right. you know there's a lot to learn from from our hippo friends yeah no they're 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 great animals they're charismatic and it's one that you know you always love to see it at zoos or in the wild you know angie mm -hmm. was talking earlier about how you guys are in zambia now angie did say we were going to have another hippo off uh -huh. so oh yeah we want to bring her back yeah we, we can do it i mean i, I just <laughs> I, I love her so much and I just, I hate when she loses. Things, don't want to, but you know, you don't want to, yeah. but it is what it is. I mean, it's, this is something that, that there will be no, there will be no loss here. I just, I'm not sure she understands. Like I studied hippopotamus vocalizations. I mean, this is what, I, yes. this is what I did for my life for, for years. Yes. So, but you know, whatever. She, I, I love, I love her because, you know, 
She's a little cocky. Yes, she her her heart cocky, is so. much larger than her brain sometimes, but that's what I think that I, <laughs> that's I just a good love one. so much about her. So, yeah, I'll, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll yeah. bring her back in for this uh, challenge. Hold on one second. All right. Well, thank you. Hey, John, you know, it's it's awesome to hear from your experience. I know we've been talking about this one for, for a while, and we definitely will have you on again, I hope. And, you know, we've had Xander yeah. on a couple oh, he times. Does, yeah, he's, so he's, we'll bring I know he's done daddy. better than me. So yeah, I, hopefully I just lived up to what, what he did. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was, it's a lot of fun. Like I said, being on, on this yeah. side of it as opposed to, to listening to you guys, but yeah. it, it's a lot of fun. So I appreciate it. Yeah, no, no. Okay. Well, go get Angie and then let's have the hippo off and, and I'll be the judge on, uh, okay. on who's better. <laughs> okay. So here we go. We're going to see who can do the best hippo impersonation all right go <laughs> all right that was the first one <laughs> oh, gosh you're gonna have to turn that one down hey hippos are loud okay hippos are loud. all right and here's attempt number two You've gotten better, Angie. You've gotten better. You're still too deep, I think. Base. So if yours well, is underwater, you win. This, like, oh, hold on, hold on. What about this one? Mm. Uh, uh, uh. No? I don't know. I always feel like... Your, your initial... I think your initial John's is really high-pitched. But your your uh, uh, I can't even do it is very deep bass. There it is. Come over here, John. Oh yeah, yeah. John wins. Yeah, he wins. He wins. Hands down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. He wins. He wins. He wins the hippo call. I'm no, sorry. It is really good. I'm I sorry. just I just fell more in love with him than I ever thought possible. Uh, <laughs> you beat me how about that yeah, so, so yeah, there's a victory no, there good. and you know it's good in life to have things to, oh he's doing it he's doing the um the running man right now i think that's a dance from, from the 80s for all the kids or 90s for all the kids out there that don't know what the running man is he'll do the sprinkler too and he's really feeling frisky there it is there it is uh Okay, I've definitely got a picture of that. Oh, oh yeah, do, do another one. Do another one. I will, John, get your picture. I will. I will. Do dance. <laughs> okay. Uh, that will go in the show notes. <laughs> uh, he reminds me of the guy from Babe, the the guy doing the dance with Babe the pig in the movie. Uh, what's his name? That great actor. Uh, it's just so. It's just. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, come on. He, uh, Corbin Maxey can't even I do know. that good. And, and well, Corbin does I, it pretty I, good. I did. I brought a ringer in. Just, I did it for our audience. I, I could have hypothesized <laughs> <laughs> he would beat me. Uh, but you know, it's, it's good for, all right. It's, it's all an right. artistic interpretation of what they sound like. That's what my, that's what my impression is. Hey, it's way better than I could do. So yeah, I always, you, you whoop my butt. When, when I go back to, Zambia, sitting on the river with my coffee, maybe a little bourbon in it or whatever, uh, listening to them for hours. It, for me, it reminded me of an old man laughing, like old men maybe playing chess. Maybe, yeah. I don't know if you laugh when you play chess, but yeah. <laughs> maybe, whatever they, yeah, you know, telling yeah. jokes or having coffee. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's yeah. where, yeah, the follow up 
part that I'm not so good at. I try to mimic that. And I think I, it's like I over try. I, I overthink it. So, you know, yeah. room for improvement. Yeah. Your, 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 ti- your tiger impression was, oh, was good. Oh, thanks, your Chris. Was, was okay. Really All right. That. Yeah. Yeah. That one still cracks <laughs> me up. I, that, uh, it's great. It was really great. No, thanks for, for having John. And that was kind of a special treat for us on this episode. So obviously this episode's going to go a little longer than normal, but you know, there is so much cool stuff to, to cover with hippos. Quickly on evolution. What is most fascinating is they, they trace him back to a hippo like animal that lived 55 million years ago. And then one eventually branched out and became whales and dolphins. And then the other became the modern hippos we know today. That's so crazy. So that's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. I would like to see some yeah. of those species, what they look like, what the branch looked like, the branching ones. No, you're right. It, it's crazy. And they actually, you know, the modern hippo fossils date back about 16 million years ago in Africa. Sure. So again, another species that's taken 50 something million years. Right. And then that little pig to evolve into what they are today. Yeah. And then the little pygmy, uh, evol- uh, branched off about 10 million years ago. So if we let yeah. those guys go extinct, there's less than 2,500. I mean, that's like 10 million, it's, it's horrific. 10 million years of evolution that they've been working on to perfect their cute little selves. Yeah. Yeah. And the, just the effects on their ecosystems there. It's just, uh, it's sad. Now I will say hippos, they have found fossils in Europe and Asia. Cool. Now this one was cool. There was an offshoot species or hippo like species in North America. That died out about 25 million really? years ago. Really? Awesome. That's fun. Yeah. Atherocotheridae was a species that lived in North America. Now, Angie, this one was really cool. There was a species that went extinct about a thousand years ago, but it was hippos on Madagascar. Interesting. Is, wow. Okay. Yeah. 250 miles away or 400 kilometers away from Mozambique or the African coast. The East coast. Yeah. So. Yeah. So they're like, how did hippos, cause Madagascar is such a unique biome. How did they get there? They, they hypothesize that they swam there and that they kind of had like a hippo raft or a bunch of them together that they, they think that the oceans might have been a little bit lower when they went over there. So there might have been some islands that they could have rested on mm-hmm. instead of just swimming 250 miles, you know, so there was probably a little bit of, on the way. And they were on Madagascar. Now, obviously, humans hunted them to extinction. They had an effect on them when they were there. So I thought that was really cool. The other thing was there was a huge hippopotamus. It was Hippopotamus gorgops. Mm-hmm. And this sucker was 14 feet long. Wow. 4.3 okay. meters. 7 feet or 2.1 meters at the shoulder. So <laughs> way taller yes, than me. Way taller. And I'm 6'5". Yeah. yeah. That is a big hippo. And weighed, you know, 8,600 pounds or 4,000, almost 4,000 kilograms was in Africa and Europe, but went extinct before the last ice age. So about two and a half million years ago. So there was a a huge hippo. Now hippos in the wild tend to live pretty long, 40, 40 40 years old. They can live to be 50 in captivities, generally what's accepted. I call them semi-nocturnal. I know we already kind of talked about that, but during the day, they mostly stay in the water. It, it helps them cool down and it's safe, safer for them there. At night, they'll go and forage. And I thought it was so cool. John was talking about them making those paths for other animals. I never thought of that. That makes yeah, so they, much they sense. They have a lot of important niches that they fulfill. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they, they bust through this brush and make these paths down to the water for other species. So John was talking about how fast they are. 
So I, this is really quick. I, I looked this up. I'm like, okay. If you have a hippo chasing, chasing you, do you have a chance of outrunning it? Now, 19 miles per hour, 30 kilometers per hour. The fastest human, the fastest human is Usain Bolt, you know, multiple, multiple gold medals. He runs about 28 miles per hour or 45 kilometers okay. per hour. He, he could outrun them. All right. On a sprint, but probably doesn't have the longevity, you know, to run that fast that long. The average human, Angie, we're about 10 to 15 miles per hour. (laughs) Forget about it. Yeah. (laughs) I I would just have to cross my fingers that there was a tree I could climb or maybe if I zigzagged left and right enough. But John said they, they cut on a dime. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Forget about that. Stop, drop and roll. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, they, uh, they're, they're, yeah, they're incredible animals. They're great swimmers, hold their breath for five minutes well, at a time. Well, and Chris, they are, um, but it is a misnomer too. A lot of times they're actually just walking along the bottom of the rivers. They're not actually swimming. Right, right. But they're, they're great in, in the water. I mean, it's, it's. But yes, of course, they're designed to move through water. Uh, right. Much more gracefully than most animals. Now you did talk about lions and lions will hunt hippos. Hyenas sometimes might or crocodiles might also hunt them too, but you're right. They, they usually go for the young or, or very sick individual. So what I read was they, they tend to avoid the, the full grown adults because it's not worth the injury, you know? Yeah, no way. Yeah, it's not worth it for them. Really the, the number one threat to hippos is humans. And, and I read that they're actually being hunted for their teeth. You know, it's ivory. Sure. I would, yeah, yeah, I would definitely say humans, but also climate change too. Right. Yeah. Habitat. Yeah. That's a big one. Or ha- change and loss yeah. and water, waterways drying up. And a lot of that is from humans needing to yeah. divert the water one way or another or from droughts. All right. All right. Now, you know, kind of talking a little bit about their behavior or their nutrition. So mm-hmm. we, we say at, at dusk is usually when they, they leave the water to start foraging. They can consume like one and a half percent of their body weight per day. In sure, forage. that's about 150 pounds of food per day on average. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Now, what I I looked into Angie was their digestion. So you know their inoculate. Yeah, we're such nutrition dorks. <laughs> I know, kinda, sort of. <laughs> yeah, kind of. But they have what a pseudorumen, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, their stomach has a complex four chamber structure similar to ruminants like the cow that we've discussed mm-hmm. here on the podcast, but they're not considered true ruminants because they don't chew cud and then mm-hmm. regurgitate and then chew it and swallow it again. Right. Right. Yeah. It's when they're feeding, they, they tear at the grass, they soften it with their saliva and mm-hmm. then the stomach takes care of the rest. So exactly. now this is kind of a rabbit hole I ran down and you know, I'll, I'll make it kind of quick, but they are herbivores but they do sometimes display carnivore-like behavior, okay? Now, it was considered abnormal for a long time, but a recent report by Dr. Dudley out of the University of Alaska is that hippos actually eat meat more often than not, and it's just a behavior that they, they've just kind of not seen or ignored, but they do... They don't necessarily go out and hunt and kill animals. They can sometimes. I know I've seen pictures and I think a video of a hippo eating a small gazelle or killing a small gazelle. They're more opportunistic. And they also have been seen to be cannibals. As much as John's like, oh, these are the greatest animals on earth. They're cannibals. (laughs) There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with a little recycling (laughs) nutrients here and there. 
Chris. <laughs> that's what's, Come on. That's what's going on. That's what's going on. They they think it is kind of during times of stress, meaning the biome is stressed. Mm-hmm. There's less grasses, less nutrients. So they'll turn to meat as an alternative. And yeah, so if a, they, you know, if a hippo dies, they're recycling, you know, so that's where some of that cannibalistic behavior uh, well, is. Right. And the other thing too, with <laughs> habitat fragmentation and habitat loss and, and rivers mm-hmm. drying up, they are probably going to, they're perhaps during the dry season or other times of stress, desperate times might call for desperate measures. So um, and it would be interesting right. too to right. see if the researcher looked at this in just a few populations or if this is something through all throughout different populations of hippos in Africa would be kind of would be would be my right. next question right. uh, to to yeah. work on the hypothesis of why. I mean, not that it really matters at the end of the day, yeah, yeah, uh, except for that I just don't right. if their digestive system. I got it doesn't yeah. support. Yeah, it doesn't support the the protein breakdown and stuff they get some nutrients out of it they also said like you know when i was reading this and, and I'll, I'll link the the article it's the the diet secrets of hippos herbivore cannibal that kind of talks about dr dudley's work the sometimes just you know mm-hmm. animals that drown i know watching the the great wildebeest migration you know in the serengeti and things like that i've seen multiple videos on that some do die, you know, they get trampled and they drown. And so these carcasses float down. Hippos have probably tried it out and said, Hey, you know, here's some food, not just the crocodiles eating it, but hippos are saying, Hey, you know, here's an opportunity. Again, they want to eat grass. That's what they want. That's what they evolved to do. But, you know, surviving in a rough environment, maybe they'll turn to some, some alternative things. I know I alluded to it before about the males being really mm-hmm. territorial, right? Yeah, so that's just kind they, of one of their they behaviors. They definitely are. Male hippos are going to display territorial behavior and they'll do things such as wheezing, honking, dung showering. Yes. Best <laughs> kind of shower. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, but defensive displays are going to be things such as yawning, which mm-hmm. might look nice, but it's actually a threat, threatening signal. Mm-hmm. And they'll do jaw and tusk clashing, biting, of course. Uh, retreating for the submissive male. And while research into hippopotamus behavior and ecology reproduction is still emerging, there's a lot that we don't know, especially when it comes to the pygmy hippo. We do know that territory males monopolize a length of the shoreline by the river or lake, and they'll tolerate bachelors coming within the territory as long as they're submissive. Non-breeding males will settle outside of the territorial areas and maybe like in a shallow wallow. But fights over territory, like you had mentioned previously, Chris, can be really fierce and inflict a lot of damage because of their huge canines. But typically, by displaying a threatening behavior like the yawn or something, is often enough to get another submissive male to back down. It's only during a challenge of a submissive male trying to gain more dominance or more territory. It's not really dominance, but more of a territory that these nasty fights can break out. But they're smart and they know that they don't, they know that they can hurt each other. So they don't want it to get ugly if it doesn't have to. And that leads a little bit into their courtship behavior, uh, which isn't super romantic. So I, I always like the romantic stories. So I won't really go into too many, too much detail right, about that, right, but yeah. he'll, and then he'll breed her. Usually between February and August, however, breeding can occur year round. Now, a, what's really fascinating for me from a re- reproductive physiologist's point of view 
as for as large as this animal is, we were con con uh, comparing it to rhinos, right? Its gestation period is only eight months. Yeah, yeah. You would think it'd be longer, Isn't right? That interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a rhino, for instance, depending on if it's a, a black or a white yeah. or an Indian, is going to be anywhere from like 15, 16, 17 months yeah. or so. So, yeah, so it's just really interesting. Um, oh, I should back up just a little bit that males don't become mature enough to breed until they're nine to 11 years oh. old. Oh, wow. Okay. So when we talk about generation intervals, it's going to be mm. minimally 10 years. Yeah. And yeah. females are around seven to nine years as well. Okay. Unless, I guess, unless they're living in Columbia. And, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Having, I don't know like, what's going on over there. And having like a ton of uh, nutrients and yeah, yeah. The, land, the land and the water themselves. Well, even, uh, but, I mean, just from a reproductive standpoint, as reproductive scientists, you know, we've studied the, or probably read some papers on the phenomenon of, of human women or girls reaching puberty earlier and earlier. And people are wondering, oh, why? And we really, from what I remember, most of my studies, it's, it's diet, right? It's dietary sure. that we actually mm -hmm. have a higher plane of nutrition. So we reach puberty quicker. And that's probably the same thing with hippos, you know, like you talked about in Columbia. High yeah. plane of nutrition, grass is available year round. So Maybe phytoestrogens the in the grasses, who knows? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it <laughs> could be. I always got to get my it's phytoestrogens in there somewhere. No, no, but it does. <laughs> it, it does. It's really interesting, you know, that what affects, you know, physiologically what affects one species is probably happening in others. So, sure, yeah. sure. Different locations, right? In, in different places. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it's pretty phenomenal. And the yeah. other thing too that doesn't really bode well for them as far as their numbers rebounding quickly in the wild is that I usually only give birth to one calf at a time, mm -hmm. and this is only every two to three years. So right. they have, you know, it's it's a wild. It's not like they're they're not like yeah. a cow or a horse having um, uh, a baby year year after year after year every year. Yeah. And then the female will uh, lactate and feed her offspring the calf for about eighteen months, which is pretty. That's a pretty mm -hmm. good investment. Mm -hmm. And the mother and the calf have a very close relationship. They're often seen cleaning and cuddling each other, which is super cute, um, and showing <laughs> affection to each other. But fun fact, go, you know, they say mama bear or you're a, you're a tiger yeah, mom. Yeah, yeah. Mama eh, hippo. You might want to, yeah. yeah, mama hippo. Because interestingly enough, most attacks on humans and other animals uh, are by females prior to giving birth okay. when they're just hangry and not angry <laughs> and i don't blame angry, angry, yeah. angry i can't even yeah. those big old bones in their legs i can't even imagine how swollen yeah. their feet are my gosh they probably can't oh, fit yeah, in any yeah, hippo yeah, sandals yeah. um yeah, yeah. so but yeah that's so either prior to giving birth or when or protecting their young they're very they have that's where the hippo right. hippo mom comes in they're very tough but interestingly enough, yeah, calves yeah. can nurse underwater. They just they just fold back their ears and their nostrils are closed during suckling, which is just goes to show how adapted they are for this amphibious lifestyle. And yeah, where's her uh, udders? in the back like a cow? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. And, okay. So okay. And because hippos live in a social family environment, males are also very protective over both the female and the calf. And he, he too will attack things that he okay. sees as, as a, a threat. Right. Right. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. You don't mess with hippos. <laughs> no, respect, no. Respect them. No. And, and I know John touched on their blood sweat or the mm -hmm. red secretion that they, that they covers all of their skin, which, but what was really fascinating to me when I got to pet Howie 
is how they're slimy. Yeah. I mean, people always think snakes are slimy. Oh, no. Yeah. They're smooth. They're soft. Yeah. Hippo, dry, yeah. very slimy. And so uh, Christina, uh, the general curator for mammals at yeah. Cincinnati Zoo, her description of trying to hold Fiona, the preemie hippo, <laughs> when she was first born is hilarious. So yeah. <laughs> I won't give anything more away. But yeah. the reason I bring this up is because their milk is a very unique color. And mm-hmm. as I had mentioned previously in the podcast, so the fluid, this red sweat, it's not really sweat, this red fluid that hippos secrete all over their skin is a combination of hipposiduric acid and norhipposiduric acid. These compounds hmm. create sunscreen um, and are effective of absorbing ultraviolet rays. And then they also prevent the growth of bacteria since they're in the water all the time, right? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that, it, but it produces, this, it produces this red pigment. And so therefore these same acids, hipposiduric acid and nor hipposiduric acid are also found in their milk, uh, that the females lactate mm-hmm. and milk generally is a white creamyish color. So red plus white is, I should be asking Xander this. What color does that make? Oh. Orange, no, pink. <laughs> pink. So yes, I, yes. I, I can get, oh, I can crazy. get a photo for you for their show notes. Even John, he okay. did not know okay. this. It was, I was like, oh, yes, you beat him at something. All right, he did not know. Right. Uh, but yeah, showing him some of the collected milk, uh, probably from uh, uh-huh. whenever uh, there was a lactating female living under human care or right. whatnot. Uh, yeah, it's pink, like pink, pink, which is just super charming. Oh, that's and crazy. That's crazy. They're the only mammal that has pink milk, so. Yeah. Very, yeah, very fun. Yeah. Oh, you know, we just talk about conservation status, pygmy hippos endangered. They're still expecting a 20% decline over the next 50 years or two generations. And luckily the co- common hippo is stable for now. Eastern and Southern Africa is kind of their stronghold where most of them are, are at. Now, are there any organizations or, you know, how do we support hippos? I guess who's working out there? Cause I know sure. there's some oh, people out there, yes, right? Yes, there are. And I, I first want to definitely give a shout out. Cincinnati Zoo, um, because they do amazing work for conservation and give a lot of money to, I mean, so many species. We'd be here all day if I listed listed them all. And of course, they are home to Fiona, the world's most famous hippo, the preemie hippo. And so, yes. <laughs> but with that being said, I, I was really fascinated to find out that the habitat that Fiona and her mom live in is the world's most sustainable hippo exhibit. So I just thought that was really cool. It goes to show that not only in giving them amazing care and learning more about their biology, which can help us save better save them in the Mm -hmm. wild, but for their exhibits, they're going above and beyond. Mm -hmm. They have a state-of-the-art filtration system to process the waste. Um, They have a rotating conveyor belt. My my four-year-old would love this. They have a rotating conveyor belt that removes large (laughs) items like cocoa matter matter and straw for compost. Right. Talk mm. about some nutrient dense fertilizer, which uh-huh. would be awesome. Okay. And the sand filters yeah. out, removes dirt, yeah. microfibers they use to chemically balance the water. And they have tilapia, which is a fish native to Africa, swimming around in the exhibit to help clean it mm-hmm. up, right? Clean up crew. And the water. I, say, I, I love the Cincinnati Zoo. I mean, Dr. Aaron Curry, one of our earliest episodes, does our polar bear research out of there. I know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I just have to give them a shout out. The water, they have something like a 400, the tank is like a 400,000 mm-hmm. gallon cistern, but the water's recycled. 
So r- rainwater is collected and the zoo uh, hmm. treats and reuses it. So just amazing stuff. They're an awesome organization. Maybe they'll hire me or you. No, uh, you. I can't leave New Zealand. I, I'll, I'll have a wife chasing know, me. Um, I know, but right? yeah, you and John. Yeah. Oh, that's John, true. That's true. There and, and then we'll all go hang out with Fiona. I know. Well, stay the episode. Yeah. Trust me, that's that's in <laughs> yeah. the making. In the in the interview, yes. I get a pretty a pretty gnarly invite that I'm not going to be able to turn yeah. down. Um, yeah. So the other organization today, I want to give a big shout out to that we have not yet highlighted on the podcast. I'm very excited to talk about today is the Fauna and Flora International, and they can be found at www.fauna dash not backslash flora dot org or on they have a great presence on facebook as well but interestingly enough this is the world's first international wildlife conservation organization so these guys have been around for over 100 years and i believe they're based out of uh europe england and they focus on protecting biodiversity and they they're really specialized in working with healthy healthy ecosystems because they know that that's critical to actually support not only human life, but of course endangered species that live in the ecosystems. They have over 140 mm-hmm. projects throughout the world, 321 partners. Maybe I should probably go work for these guys. Jeez. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, including governments, <laughs> universities, businesses, and local NGOs. And the reason why I picked them today is because they have a campaign to save the endangered pygmy hippo and with the goal of mm, implementing okay. effective management into Sapo national park that's in Liberia in West Africa, uh, mm. home to one of the last pockets of uh, pygmy hippo populations in the world. And fauna and flora international have determined that this is probably this country basically offers the best chance for preserving the pygmy hippo in the wild. They're working with the government and other researchers to implement long-term and short-term goals to save the pygmy hippo. And these goals include using camera traps to survey the land by rangers to find out where the pygmy hippos are even located and what threats are out there for them. Mm -hmm. And so how best to conserve the existing populations. They hope that the data gathered from the surveys will be used to build a map of where the pygmies are and then work with local government, park systems, private entities, mining companies, whoever it is, to minimize the destruction of the hippo habitat where they're actually actually living. And they're doing this in other countries too, besides mm-hmm. Liberia, but that's their main focus is in the Sabo Park. And the other benefit besides just learning all the secret behaviors of the pig, pygmy hippo that we don't even know, but... They, they live in the habitat where the forest elephant resides. So that's another large megafauna yeah. that we've touched on in our, mm-hmm, and deep, deep trouble that we've touched on, uh, in our elephant podcast, our very first one, right? Many, many moons mm, yep, ago. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So last century, it feels like. I know, right? Right. Uh, yeah, we'll have to do a reboot. Maybe, maybe time we can focus on the forest fun, elephant yeah. instead next time. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, but not only, of course, these big me- megafaunas, the Fauna and Flora International, because they're working in like saving ecosystems, it's not only the big animals, but the other small endangered plants, animals, everything else in the mm-hmm. area they're learning about as well. 
So yeah, their mm-hmm. site is amazing. They, like I said, they have over 140 conservation projects. So even if you're not a hippo fan, if, yeah, that's even great. if you're not that's a hippo great. fan, which I'd be hard pressed to think that that's even possible. They're not even at this point. They're not, they're not listening. If they're not a hippo say, fan, exactly, <laughs> so, say, we'll yeah. just assume uh, yeah, they, they just moved on to the next yeah, part. But their, but, but their <laughs> yeah. website and Facebook is gorgeous yeah. and you can consider becoming a member and you can get. A lot of other cool little tidbits, uh, for, you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah so check them out or at least show them, give them a like on Facebook so you can be updated because they're doing really, really cool things and they're doing amazing work. They're one of the only groups out there. There's a few other ones, but this is one of the larger, more uh, well-established groups that are, that are working to save the, the pygmy hippo before it's too late. Yeah, no, that's great. That's really great. Uh, this week, you know, since we're doing an aquatic mammal, I thought we would kind of Talk about conserving Absolutely, water. Chris. And I, I know. Think, yeah. You and I, and I think that me, like yeah. when people say, well, how can I help? I can't donate $5 a month. I mean, not yeah. a lot of people can, right? Yeah. Well, this hopefully will save, save them. So, you know, save $5 a month just in water costs. We, you and I have always talked about, you know, taking short, shorter showers. Or no know, showers. I'm a big fan of dry shampoo, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. You get greasy yeah. like me, try out the dry shampoo. And I recently got my hair cut and I said to the yeah. lady, I'm like, can I use dry shampoo? Every day, like just yeah. not shower. And she's like, sure. Now, obviously, yeah, she's yeah. no researcher or anything, but I was like, okay, cool. That's all I need to hear. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Or do the Angie thing where you don't use a shower. My <laughs> poor just go outside husband, when it's right? raining. I know. I know. Uh, you know, things you can buy whenever you're, you know, replacing things like shower heads, use low pressure water faucets or shower heads. That will cut down on that. Now, this one was interesting. Put two, so if we've got some use for plastic, but I've even seen bricks, but this uh, website that I'm going to link, 45 ways to conserve water in the home and yard, talked about taking two plastic bottles, fill them up with sand or pebbles and stick them in your toilet water tank. Mm -hmm. So it uses less water when it flushes. I've, I've seen bricks, you know, we put bricks in in mine to, you know, lessen uh, how much water because you don't need all the, that water uh, in there to flush the toilet. They did said you could use composting toilets. And I was like, uh, maybe. <laughs> did, did we just, did we just call those outhouses back in the day? So you, just, you give it yeah, a, you give it a like, fancy name and you re- rebrand it. Yeah. No, no. You can pass on that one. Uh, but you know, here's something I always thought. I thought somebody's told me long ago that hand washing dishes was using less water when it's actually not true that if you use your dishwasher as much as possible, Make sure it's full. Right. It has to be full. You actually, mm-hmm. you use much less water on average per year. But don't do what I do once in a while and make it too, too full. I do this sometimes too with, the, yeah. with my laundry <laughs> machine. I fill it yeah. too full and then I have to, I have to end up rewashing them. So there's yeah, a, there is work. a happy yeah, medium yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing too is like when, you know, either shaving, uh, brushing your teeth, doing the dishes, you know, turn off the faucet when you're not uh, actively using it. And I've gotten in the habit of doing Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Oh, right? my so kids like, know too. Yeah, it's not it's, even a, it's not even, this is just how yeah. we do it. Yeah. So just, yeah, just develop healthy habits for the ecosystems. Now, Angie, to, to wrap all this up. And I, again, I know this is a long episode, but Hey, we had a special guest, so it's okay. Talking about the most dangerous animal in Africa is not the hippo. If we go animal, the most dangerous animal still is the mosquito. Ah, Kills clever. 655 yep. 
Yeah, 655,000 people per year Jeez, in Africa. That's a lot. Malaria, all that diseases. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Now, hippos are the most dangerous mammal in Africa. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I know we talked about this with Cape Buffalo. Over 2,000 people per year are killed by hippos. Again, they're territorial. Mothers are very protective of their offspring. Hippo mama. It, you know, <laughs> yeah, more interaction with, you know, these mammals in their environment, it leads to a lot right, of Right, I think it's it, a lot of it is the human hippo conflict, which of course leads to sometimes them being killed unnecessarily and or poached. But mm-hmm. a lot of it is that most hippos live inside smaller preserves or right. live near yeah. local people where they historically maybe wouldn't have. And so they're going to have, there is mm-hmm. going to be more interaction and especially to as agricultural lands yeah. keep encroaching on hippo territory because there's more people to feed. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. sometimes the watering holes dry up. So they have to search for more water. Yeah. They're probably angry because they don't get to have mm-hmm. their floaty baths. They're, you know, they're nice baths, uh, floating yeah, time. Yeah. I know I would be mad if, uh, if that was me. So that's part, I think that's probably yeah. why it's the numbers have gone up or maybe now we're just better at keeping track of it perhaps yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, there's, there's things out there that, that kill people all the time more so than an animal. So it's not like, you know, we should demonize animals that because there's some conflict with humans when, you know, more people die with car wrecks, what was it? 37,000 oh, yeah. United States I per mean, year. A lot. Like, yeah, so that, that's a way that's big a concern. concern. Yeah. But yes, if I yeah. was in Africa, I would give the same yeah. advice to my uh, friends, especially with kids and pets walking by waterways in Florida. Just don't do yeah. it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Alligator. It I mean, it's rare, so but it's it does happen. It's very similar. But however, yeah. in Africa, a lot of the local people still use the rivers to do laundry and for latrine use and mm-hmm. for other, they, they're using their waterways a lot of times in a more intimate way than, than we are. So therefore yeah. there's going to be some, co- some yeah. conflicts going to arise, yeah. arise yeah. you know, arise when that hippo mama is seven and a half months pregnant and she, is hangry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she, she needs that cheeseburger, <laughs> that veggie burger, I guess for a hippo. I, well, we found out clearly she'll swing either way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's true. What's available. <laughs> so, you know, thank you. I just, what, well, you know, for us, yep. You know, check us out on Patreon, all that stuff. Just thanks for listening. You know, I was like, thank you for listening to our show. Like, thank Seriously. you. Seriously. It's yeah, awesome so that we was- have hundreds, thousands of people listening. Thank you. That's all I want to say. Thank you. I love you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I feel the same way. Thank you. I love you. It gives me, it, it, I'm excited to be here talking about yeah. hippos today and whatever species we cover next. But today yeah, was really special for me and, yeah. and listening to my husband. So now you yeah. have a little more insight into my, <laughs> yeah. into my, now we got to do honeybee at some point. Now I got to <laughs> bring Ashley in at some point. We'll, 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 and- we'll try to do an insect. Honestly, like st- if you can only pick one episode to listen to, check out Thursday's interview with Christina Gorsuch yeah. out of Cincinnati Zoo. It is phenomenal. Yeah, great. It was really great. All right, Ange, I'll I'll talk to you in a few days. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> that better? <laughs> yep, you're doing better. My Bye. poor neighbors are probably like, or my kids are like, what is going on? Oh, they don't want to know what's going on in there. <laughs> All right, we're going to stop recording now. Bye, Angie. (laughs) Listen, learn, share. Join the movement 
at allcreaturespod.com.